This person is a sannyasi. So we discussed in the morning what is meant by sannyasi or renunciate. We said, Lord Krishna uses the word sannyasi in the sense of an enlightened person. A person who has an abiding knowledge of one's own self. Who abides in the knowledge that I am the actionless self. That I am changeless, ever immutable, ever free. So one who abides in that knowledge, one lives that. What is meant by abiding in knowledge is that the knowledge is spontaneous. As spontaneous today it is that I live as, a, as, a, as an individual, as an ego. Effortlessly, so effortlessly when a person lives that I am Brahman, I am limitless, that would be called abiding knowledge. And that, as you say, is the ultimate goal of life because then alone my desire to be happy will be really satisfied. Because happiness is the nature of only self and nothing else. And therefore, when I abide in my true self, then only I'll be happy in the real sense. And then alone I will have real satisfaction with the life. So in the end of the 15th chapter, Lord Krishna says, Etad buddha buddhiman syat krita krityasya bharata. Here Arjuna, knowing this, one becomes wise in the real sense and becomes krita kritya, he gains a fulfillment in life. <coughs> Inasmuch as each one of us is seeking fulfillment in life. And it is said, there is no choice. We cannot settle for anything less. And therefore, there is no choice but to shoot only for that. Inasmuch as, as we said in the morning, that love for happiness is natural, love of freedom is natural, and not just happiness, but abiding happiness, abiding freedom, this is what we seek. And therefore, that desire of ours can only be fulfilled when we gain an abidance in our true nature. Therefore, becoming sannyasi like that is a goal and there is no choice but achieving that goal because we cannot settle for anything less than that. At the, at the end of the sixth chapter we'll see, if that goal cannot be achieved in one lifetime, then when will continue. 
As you said the other night, in fact we are continuing already, we are in that process. So sasanyasi, so yogi cha, who is a yogi? The yoga shastra describes a yogi. Yoga ha, chitta vritti nirodha ha. Chitta vritti means the various thoughts of the mind. Nirodha means stoppage. When there is a stoppage of all thoughts of the mind. Yuga Shastra describes five kinds of thoughts. It, it's thought called Pramana, meaning whatever cognition takes place, one is cognitions. Various cognitions that take place when we gain the knowledge of the objects of the world. For example, by perception. So by organs of perception, we know the things, that's how the cognition takes place. By inference also we know, by comparison also we know. So this knowledge or cognition that takes place is one kind of thought. Other is viparya, opposite thought. Meaning knowing something wrongly. Instead of rope you see a snake. So this likes, dislikes, all of this will fall in the category of viparyaya or the wrong or opposite kind of thoughts. So one is a, is a group of thoughts which is called cognition, which is true to the object. Other is a kind of thought which is opposite of the object. So knowing the rope as a rope will be called cognition. Knowing rope as a snake will be called viparyaya, the contrary thought. Then when there is a word alright, but there is no corresponding object, such as Dhayak, you can use the word. Shasavishana, meaning the horn of a rabbit, rabbit's horn. The rabbit's horn is an expression in English alright, but there is no object corresponding to it, because rabbits don't have horns, you know. So, this kind of thing is called Vikalpa, that's how Yoga Shastra says, there is a third kind of thing. Fourth is sleep, that is absence of all the thoughts because of ignorance. Not absence of thought because all thoughts have stopped, but then there are no thoughts because the mind is overpowered by ignorance, sleep. And fifth is memory. So Yoga Shastra talks about, they categorize or divide thoughts in five categories, just for information, it's not very important. But then what is meant by Yoga is, Chitta Vritti Nirodha When none of these five kinds of thoughts arises, when the mind is free from every kind of thought, where every kind is just five kinds, then that state of mind is called yoga or it is called samadhi, meaning when the mind is free from any kind of disturbance. There is not a single wave. A thought is like a little wave in water. So imagine waveless ocean. So as long as waves are there, there is the disturbance in the surface of ocean or lake. Imagine waveless, waveless ocean. So waveless ocean is totally calm and infinite. So also when our mind becomes like a waveless ocean, free from any kind of disturbance, there is a total tranquil state of mind. This mind they call samadhi. That is called yoga or samadhi. So yogi is the one who enjoys this state of mind. It's called yogi. 
And they say that when you gain this state of mind, that is when you abide in your true nature. These thoughts are in fact preventing you from abiding in a true nature. When all the thoughts stop, they stop because the thoughts have no need to be there and therefore all the thoughts get resolved, put it this way. The mind becomes not thoughtless, but mind becomes like the waveless ocean where all the waves have resolved, all the waves have subsided, all the thoughts subside. Then the mind is in a state of complete tranquility. That state is called samadhi. And that is where a person abides in his true nature. This is how Yoga Shastra describes what is called Yoga. So Yogi is a person who enjoys this kind of mind, who abides in his true nature. That way sannyasa and Yogi are the same really. Sannyasi is a person who abides in his own self because of knowledge. And Yogi is a person who abides in his own self because of the state of mind. But we can say that really sannyasi and yogi, both of them here mean a person who abides in his own self. Sannyasi implies wisdom. Yogi implies a complete self-mastery. But really a yogi is a sannyasi also and a sannyasi is a yogi also. But in as much as this particular chapter is going to talk about yoga or meditation, therefore Lord Krishna uses the two words sannyasi and yogi. Traditionally, a sannyasi is the one also who has renounced all his duties. We say that sannyasa can be of a second category where one has not acquired yet that abiding wisdom. One is in the process of abiding, gaining that wisdom. And for that, one chooses a, a lifestyle which is called the life of a renunciate. Where you become a renunciate by will or by initiation. So the teacher initiates you into a life of renunciation. And the purpose of becoming a renunciate is to pursue the knowledge at the exclusion of all other activities. Therefore, the purpose of sannyasa is to become free from the responsibilities of every other activity or duty. In the words of Pooja Swamiji, a sannyasi has no more any roles to play. Otherwise, a person who is active in the world has many roles to play. At home there is one kind of a role, in place of work a different kind of a role, in with friends yet another kind of role, you know. So one is that every role has its own demands. Therefore, to live an active life is a demanding life. Because every role has its own demands. To function as mother has one set of demands. To function as wife, yet another set of demands. To function as grandmother, mother-in-law, whatever. A sister, as an aunt, as an employee, as a colleague, as whatever you are, various things you are doing, each role has its own demands. 
never a person is a householder. He is living life of activity. Constantly has to fulfill the various demands that the rose place upon him or her. And when you are occupied in this way, there is natural, you do not enjoy the leisure that is required to listen to the scriptures and to contemplate upon that. You do not have the leisure to live a contemplative life. So life of pursuit of knowledge requires a contemplative life. And therefore, a person who is ready for that kind of a life, that person is given a sanction that now you can take up the life of a renunciate so that now you are no more a father or a son or a brother or a sister or whatever. You are simply a seeker of knowledge. Therefore now that person has no relationship, this is ideally, no responsibilities, no claim, nothing. And therefore his mind is available totally for pursuit of knowledge, which involves shravanam, listening to the teacher. Mananam, reflection upon what you listen to. This is dhyasanam, assimilating what you know. <coughs> so a person who does this is called a sannyasi. And our society supports a person like that, who has dedicated his life to the pursuit of knowledge, recognizing that he has no means, he has not kept any means with himself. He has no means to even of livelihood. He has no means to support himself also. Therefore, society takes care of the basic needs of that person. Like food, like clothing and stuff like that, the society takes care of the basic needs. Therefore, this person does not have to worry about that also. Otherwise, if you are to cook, then you manage the whole thing. You must go out and, and shop, all the groceries and stuff like that, and vegetables. And, it's, a, it's quite a samsara in itself. Then you clean up and do all kinds of things. So that also takes take a lot of time. Therefore, he is saved from that exertion also. He can go out and beg bhiksha. That's what the sannyasi used to do in Rishikesh and places like that, where there are many ashrams and many sannyasis living. But these sannyasis had to go to the hills, where small little village, villages are there, a few houses. They are all spread apart because they live in hills. So those days sannyasis had to go to the hills, asking for victory. That itself was taking half a day, you know. So that is why one Mahatma whose name was Ka, Baba Kali Kamliwala. Kamli means a blanket. Kali means a black. He, that, that Mahatma or Sanyasi always used to wear a, blank, a, a dark blanket or a black shawl or a black blanket. That is why he was called Baba Kali Kamliwala. So he started what they call Annakshetra. He started centers where food was distributed to sannyasis. Meaning that sannyasis do not go to many places, they just come to one place at the appointed time, 10 o'clock in the morning, they ring the bell. This is 60 years ago. They ring the bell, the sannyasis living around, they all show up, you know, from nowhere. 
in short time they all show up. They will correct viksha and disappear in no time also. No chatting, no socializing, nothing. They come, do that job of correcting viksha, disappear. That's it. One day, whether you call it lunch, breakfast, dinner, whatever you call it, brunch, you call whatever you want. One meal a day. But anyway, this is how the sannyasis were living. And they would have a small hut, a kutia, in which they live and do whatever they wanted to do. Some people were studying the scriptures. Some people were doing japa. Some were doing other kinds of penance, whatever. And this is how they would live their life. So that's the sannyasi. Meaning here by the word sannyasi, you can understand a committed seeker of knowledge. And commitment requires a certain way of life which is compatible to that commitment. And that's how the lifestyle of a sannyasi. So that's why we say our scriptures have a sanction for that kind of lifestyle. Which is unique to India. I mean, in every tradition there are renunciates. There are, there are people who are recluse, there are hermits. Uh, but the Vedas have formalized this lifestyle. <coughs> So here now Lord Krishna opened the sixth chapter. Actually the chapter is meant for teaching meditation or yoga. But rather than Lord Krishna starting a discourse on meditation, he opens discourse with praising karma yoga. Implying thereby that the preparation of karma yoga is required before one is ready for what we call meditation. And in the sixth chapter, the object of meditation is one's own self. Little difficult meditation. In Bhagavad Gita, we do not find description of different devatas such as Brahma, Vishnu, Mahesh, etc. because this text precedes the Puranic time before these devatas became, you know, uh, popular. So in Bhagavad Gita, God means the creator, sustainer, dissolver, the self of all, the immanent and transcendent, that's the principle of God, which the Vedas teach, is what Bhagavad Gita teaches. <clears throat> Later on, in the times of Purana, then other devatas like Brahma, Vishnu, Mahesh, all of these, of these Brahm, Vishnu and Mahesh, these became the most popular. And also Lord, Lord Vishnu had seven incarnations, therefore that became even more popular. And then Devi, and then Ganesha, and the Devatas also became popular. That's how subsequently God came to worship through these different names and forms. But in the Bhagavad Gita, worshipping God is worshipping the Creator, Sustainer, Omniscient, Omnipotent, the Self of all. Or worshipping God is the one that transcends even that, that is my own Self. So the first five chapters, Lord Krishna has taught about the Self. Bhagavad Gita has 18 chapters. And these 18 chapters can be looked upon as addressing the theme of the Upanishads, which is the identity of the individual and, and, and God. Upanishad says, Tatvamasi, that thou art. Hey, you are that, you are Brahman, you are limitless. So that means Brahman, you are Brahman. What is meant by Brahman? 
Brahman means limitless or ananda or wholeness. That's what you are, happiness. So, it can be said that this one simple statement that I am Brahman or you are Brahman is being unfolded in the Bhagavad Gita. So, first six chapters essentially talk about the self, the I. Unfolding the nature of I or unfolding the nature of the self. The second six chapters unfold the nature of Brahman, Ishwara or God. So God or Ishwara is the main subject matter of the middle six chapters. And the last chapters talk about the oneness or identity between the two, how what we call I is in fact Brahman or how God is my own self. So we are in the sixth chapter. The sixth chapter is the, the, it concludes the first section, you see. The first section of six chapters naturally concludes the sixth chapter. And you say the subject matter of the first six, six chapters is I or the self. Therefore, the meditation that Lord Krishna talks about here is also meditation upon I or the self. Is what you call the meditation upon the meditator. We'll see how meditation is of two kinds. One is you meditate upon something other than yourself. Like you meditate upon a Devata, you meditate upon Lord Krishna, on Lord Shiva, or Ishta Devata, your chosen deity. So you can meditate upon a form, you may meditate upon a name, you can use a mantra, Om Namah Shivaya. Om Namo Narayana, that becomes, that becomes also the theme of meditation. You can take just a name, Ram, Krishna, whatever, you can meditate with the help of that, or Om. So there is one meditation, which is popularly called meditation, where the meditator and meditator, the one who meditates an object of meditation, are different. It is the, the devotee meditating upon the Ishvara. Ishvara in the form of his chosen deity or the chosen mantra or the chosen name. Basically, meditation means thinking about God. They would say, Sajatya Vritti Pravaha. Maintaining the thought of the same kind. Maintaining a current of thought of the same kind is called meditation. But how when the object of meditation is God? And after all, when you are making tea also you may meditate upon because tea, 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 that, you know. In the morning when you wake up then coffee, 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 the mind may only think of that. We will not call that meditation. Although there is the same kind of thought, for we will not call it meditation. Although word meditation is used that way also. They call it premeditated action, you know. Premeditated murder, premeditated action. Meaning that this person was meditating upon what he was going to do, how he was going to do, planning. There also there was a current of thought where the same topic was there. But anyway, when we use the word meditation, at least when Vedanta uses the word meditation, it is in the sense of 
maintaining a current of thought of which Ishvara or God is the subject matter. Meaning that when you maintain a current of thoughts about Ishvara, about God, then that process will be called meditation. <coughs> In Bhagavad Gita, it would amount to saying that you meditate upon Ishvara, who is the self of all, who is the substratum of all, who is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. But because it is so difficult to meditate on such a vast concept, therefore different names and forms are given to us with the help of which we meditate upon Ishvara. And therefore, for that kind of meditation, we require a, a, a prop, we require a support, we require some help in the form of a form or a name or a mantra. That is why Hinduism gives us a number of deities, a number of forms, a number of names, a number of mantras, number of symbols. And whatever you choose. And so, you can use that as a help, as an aid for meditation upon Ishvara. <coughs> so this will be meditation upon Saguna Brahman, or Brahman or Ishvara with guna, with qualities, with attributes. Such as, like Lord Krishna when he meditated upon, he is also Brahman, where there is joy, freedom, love. Meditate upon Ram, Lord Rama, he is also Brahman, where the predominant qualities are truthfulness, dharma, righteousness, sacrifice. When you meditate on Lord Shiva, that is also Brahman. The predominance of Detachment, renunciation, knowledge, avoidance, tranquility. Thus every devata is, because Ishvara is everything, and therefore every devata predominantly displays certain aspects of God. Everything is there, but certain aspects are predominant. Depending on what you like, you choose a form and meditate upon Ishvara. <coughs> That is a traditionally what we call meditation. Of course there are so many kinds of meditation subsequently, but this is the meditation as prescribed in the Vedas, in the Upanishads. Upanishads also prescribe many kinds of meditations. In Sanskrit it's called Upasana. Upasana means meditation, Upasana means mental worship. So the meditation that our texts prescribe is the nature of worship, mental worship. Worshipping God mentally. You can worship God physically also by making, you know, uh, through different upacharas or steps. You can worship God with a speech also by singing His glories, by praising Him, by singing His name, etc. Or you can worship God purely mentally. Important is worship. And each subsequent form of worship becomes a little more difficult than the previous one. As Ramamashi says, Kayavang manaha kajimuttamam pujanam japaha chintanam kramad. You can worship God at the level of the body, at the level of speech, at the level of mind. At the level of body, the worship is called pujanam, puja, the act of worship, which involves body, speech and mind, all the three. 
at the level of speech, japaha, meaning you can, as we said, recite the name of Lord, recite various hymns, stotras, his praise, prayers, where the speech and mind are involved. Or finally, worshipping purely the level of mind, where body also is not involved and speech also is not involved. Therefore, ideally, meditation means mental worship, worshipping God. And where there is a thought current, there is a flow of thoughts of which Ishvara or God is a subject matter. <clears throat> and finally, that meditation also culminates into meditation of God as my own self. Meditating among God as different from me. He is Ishvara, He is God and I am devotee. That's the common form of meditation. But finally, to meditate upon God as my own self, that will be meditation upon self, meditation upon the meditator as we say. Inasmuch as the subject matter of the first six chapters of Bhagavad Gita is self. Therefore, the meditation that Lord Krishna essentially talks about is meditation upon my own self which requires knowledge. Meditation presupposes knowledge. Meaning, even if I want, if I want to meditate on Lord Krishna, there must be knowledge of Lord Krishna as to what his form is, what he stands for, what his glories are. All of these one should know and then alone it is possible to meditate. So meditation presupposes knowledge about the object of meditation. Similarly also, if you want to meditate upon the self, then that will presuppose the knowledge of the self. That is why Lord Krishna imparted the knowledge of the self in the first five chapters and now in the sixth chapter. He concludes this section of the self by prescribing meditation upon the self. <coughs> before before uh, discourse, giving discourse on that meditation. Lord Krishna, in the first two, first two verses, talks about Karma Yoga. Basically, praises Karma Yoga. Meaning thereby that, Karma Yoga, or living life of Karma, in the spirit of Yoga, is required for being prepared for that kind of meditation. In short, meditation requires a lot of preparation. If you are familiar with the Ashtanga Yoga of Patanjali, Sage Patanjali, Ashtanga is eight step. As I said, Yoga means Samadhi. Yoga means when the mind, the thoughts of the mind are completely resolved. When the mind is completely free from its thoughts because thoughts are resolved. As I said, like the waveless ocean. When the ocean abides in its own nature. Also when one abides in one's own nature, it's called yoga. And for gaining this yoga or this samadhi or abidance oneself, Yoga Shastra prescribes eight steps. The first step is called yama. Yama is in the form of the various different values of life. Basically, self-restraint, what we should not do. Yama would say, 
Niyama is five. Ahimsa, non-violence. Satyam, non-falsehood. Asteya, non-stealing. Brahmacharya, non-indulgence. Aparigraha, non-holding. See, non-non. There was a Aparigraha, non-holding. So don't. Even Satya also truthful. I, I translated as non-falsehood. So non-violence, non-falsehood, non-stealing, non-indulgence, and non-holding. So once we, we were describing this to a group of listeners, most of them were Westerners. So then one lady raised the hand and asked a question. The Swamiji, we are taught that we should not teach our children, we should not convey in the sense of non. Don't tell them what not to do, tell them what to do. So parents are taught that when you communicate to your teachers, don't say don't do this, tell them what to do. But here you are saying what not to do, how come? How come Yoga Shastra says, don't hurt, don't tell a lie, don't steal, don't indulge, don't stalk or hoard, don't do these things. Why do you say so? I said that is because we have natural tendencies to do these things. That is a natural tendency to hurt. Because whenever I give importance to my ego, Whenever I give importance to my self-interest, in all likelihood, I'm going to hurt the interest of someone else. Therefore, you're told, do not hurt, either physically or emotionally. By your action, by your words, by your thoughts, do not hurt any living being. Certainly not other human beings, but ideally, no living being should you hurt, either physically or emotionally. Emotional torture also is violence either by your action, by your words, or by your thoughts. Because very often we become quite insensitive to the feelings and needs of others when we are too preoccupied with what we want. So sometimes what we want becomes so important to us that we become insensitive to the fact that others also want that. Never says do not hurt. Achieve your goal without sacrificing or without, not at the cost of someone else. Also a tendency to tell lies, to protect myself, to protect my image, to protect my ego, whatever, do not tell lies. Tendency to steal, do not steal. Tendency to indulge, fall for temptations at the sensuous levels. Brahmacharya. No, 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 no indulgence. Tendency to hold a lot of things for security. So don't hold, don't deprive other people of what they should have. Anyway, in this manner, understand that the Yoga Shastra begins with Yama. Restrain. Yama means restrain. Second step is Niyama. Niyama the rules. There should be five Yama or restraints and five things we should not do, and five things we should do. That's called niyama.
शौच संतोष तप स्वाध्याय ईश्वर प्रणिधान लेट दर बी क्लीनलीनेस इन योर लाइफ लेट दर बी प्योरिटी इन योर लाइफ लेट दर बी प्योरिटी एट दउटर लेवल फिजिकल लेवल एज वेल एज प्योरिटी इन द माइंड शौच संतोष लेट दर बी कंटेंटमेंट इन योर लाइफ मे यू रिमेन कंटेंटेड एंड हैप्पी विद वॉट यू हैव विद वॉट यू गेन बाय योर ऑनेस्ट लेबर बी सेटिस्फाइड स्वाध्याय तप ऑस्टेरिटी लेट देर बी ऑस्टेरिटीज इन योर लाइफ लेट यू लाइफ बी एज सिंपल एज पॉसिबल लेट यू लाइफ बी एज नॉन डिमांडिंग एज पॉसिबल मेक योर लाइफ एज सिंपल लो मेंटेनेंस यू नो दिस इज समाइम दिस स्वामी यू आर लो मेंटेनेंस पर्सन समी स्वामी वेन डू यू नीड योर मॉर्निंग टी आई नो थैंक यू आई डोंट नीड फाइव थर्टी आई डोंट आई डोंट नीड बैड टी देन इन ब्रेकफास्ट वॉट डू नीड टी और कॉफी नो आई डोंट नीड टी और कॉफी वॉट डू यू लाइक इडली सांबार आई सेड नो जस्ट सीरियल एंड मिल्क नो कुकिंग वॉट डू यू वॉन्ट इन इवनिंग स्वामी जस्ट भाकरी एंड दूध सो लो मेंटेनेंस यू नो आई एम जस्ट सेंग दिस बिकॉज यू यूज दिस देन आई केम टू नो दिस कैम टर्म लो मेंटेनेंस लेट इज बिकम लो मेंटेनेंस दैट्स ऑल दैट्स वॉट आई एम सेंग यू नो दैट्स कॉल्ड तप ऑस्टेरिटीज लेट देर बी ऑस्टेरिटीज सिंप्लिसिटीज इन द लाइफ सो दैट वी टेक द मिनिमम फ्रॉम नेचर एज अंडरस्टैंड ऑल लिविंग बींग्स अदर ह्यूमन बींग्स आर ऑलवेज लिव ऑस्टेर लाइफ दे ओनली टेक फ्रॉम नेचर वॉट इज नेसेसरी and never more than that and they never waste also we take more than what we need and then waste it and all do all kind of things It's kind of violence so shauja santosha tapah tapasri also can mean uh, uh, controlling the senses swadhyaya study of the scriptures also must be a regular thing so these five things we should do then you can say that you're leading a spiritual life five things we should not do don't hurt don't tell lies don't steal don't indulge and don't keep unnecessary what you don't need five things we should do let there be purity of the body as well as mind body means outer things mind let there be contentment in our life let there be simplicity on austerity and penance in our life let there be regular study of scripture swadhyaya because scriptures tell us gives the insight scriptures give us the insight about our life about what the goal is what the means are etc <clears throat> or swadhyaya also means repeating japa repeating pranama repeating mantra and ishwar pranidhana fifth says may you dedicate all your activities to ishwara niyama so yama niyama then asana very posture so the body harmony of the body pranayama restraining the breath harmony level of breaths pratyahara when all your sense organs have withdrawn from the sense activities and now you you become just you you are with yourself then dharana 
concentration and dhyanam meditation. And they send dhyanam meditation, seventh step, not first step. Why did I say all of this? Just to emphasize, or at least just to let you know, that according to Yoga Shastra, dhyanam or meditation is seventh step, leading to what they call samadhi, which is the Savikalpa Samadhi, eight, which all these eight culminated into what they call Nirvikalpa Samadhi. But anyway, therefore, what Lord Krishna says here is that it is not easy to do meditation because one should have a tranquility of the mind, one should have a focus of the mind, one should have a reasonable amount of mastery of the mind, which Lord Krishna will discuss. That's what is required for meditation because meditation requires that I should maintain a desire flow of thoughts. The mind has the habit of thinking, except that there is no vyavastha, there is no order, there is no, you know, thinking just randomly takes place. Mind keeps on jumping from one object to the other, from one thought to the other, and there is no consistency. And therefore, most of the time, the energy of the mind is wasted. Therefore, we give the mind a subject of thinking and ask the mind, you think only of this, nothing else. Think of Krishna, think, repeat Ram, 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 nothing else. Mind then runs, bring it back, again ask you to repeat. Thus, meditation is a tremendous training to the mind, where we develop what we call the focus of the mind, where we bring about purification of mind. We bring about also the steadiness of the mind. So purpose of meditation is also steadiness and purity. But itself requires purity and steadiness. So meditation requires preparation. Therefore, Lord Krishna says that karma yoga, living a life of yoga is a prerequisite for one to be able to do meditation. So, this karma yoga is called bahiranga sadhanam. Sadhanam means a spiritual practice. So, scriptures talk about two kinds of spiritual practices. One is what they call bahiranga sadhanam, spiritual practices at the external level. Second is antaranga sadhanam, spiritual practices at the internal level. So, karma yoga. Performing karma or the action in the spirit of yoga is the external level. Action is at the external level because it involves body, it involves speech. Of course it involves mind, but that is the spiritual practice at external level. Meditation also is spiritual practice, but there there is no application of body, there is no speech involved there also, no involvement of body, no involvement of speech, only at the level of mind it is done. That is called antaranga sadhanam or internal practice. External practice and internal practice. So Lord Krishna says that this external practice is very important only when you gain a certain amount of perfection as a result of external practice that 
you become eligible or fit for the internal practice. <clears throat> All of this is said to emphasize that meditation requires a lot of preparation. People usually start with meditation right away. Everybody wants to learn meditation, which is fine. But in absence of the practice or preparation, it becomes very frustrating. Perhaps this meditation is the most frustrating thing also. Even performing japa or repeating name at the level of mind also is meditation. But that also becomes very difficult. So usual complaint that people have is Swamiji, whenever I try to do japa, then my mind wanders everywhere. Whenever I try to do meditation, my mind wanders. Even puja also my mind wanders. Naturally the mind wanders because we have not trained the mind. And therefore, Lord Krishna says that when you live a life of karma yoga, then the mind automatically gets trained for meditation. So what is karma yoga? In the first line, Lord Krishna summarizes what has been taught in the second, third, fourth and fifth chapters. So Lord Krishna talked about karma yoga in second chapter. In third chapter, the whole chapter was devoted to karma yoga. In the first, fourth chapter also, in initial step, you know, verses the karma yoga is talked about. In fifth chapter also, even though Lord Krishna talked of sannyasa, there also he talked of karma yoga. So karma yoga has been a very important topic of the first six chapters. And in sixth chapter, Lord Krishna simply summarizes that in, a, in one line. So what is karma yoga? Lord Krishna says, Anashritaha karma phalam karyam karma karotiya. First is, yaha karyam karma karoti. One who performs karma or the action, karyam, which has to be done. So one who performs the action, which has to be done. What do you mean by that? Which has to be done? As we said, that every role requires me to respond in an appropriate manner. There's always a way of doing everything. When you are playing the role of father, then there is a way of doing things. When you are playing the role of grandfather, a way of doing it. Playing the role of a son, mother, sister, grandmother, mother-in-law, daughter, daughter-in-law, Every role calls for a certain response. You, in order to do justice to that role, it is necessary that the role should be performed in a certain way. Our Swamiji compares a life to a play. In the play also on the stage, the actors perform various roles. And they perform the roles according to the script. The actors perform the roles according to the script, which has been determined for them. Meaning that when an actor performs on the stage, that person does not have the freedom to say whatever he wants to say. 
does not have freedom to do what he wants to do. Rather, he does things and say things according to script. Because imagine people coming to stage and doing what they want to do and say what they want to say. There won't be a play, there won't be, there'll be some kind of thing and there'll be total chaos. Because Ravana will talk about, like Rama and Rama will talk about something else and then there'll be, there'll be total chaos. So when you play the part of Ravana, then you must only act and talk in a certain way. When you play part of Hanuman, then you act and talk in a certain way. Hanuman cannot take a bow and arrow. He only has a, has a, has a mace in his hand, that's all. And Rama cannot take a mace, he only has bow and arrow. But looking at Hanuman, Rama also feels like taking a mace. That's not right. He has to control his emotions. And looking at Rama, Hanuman also wants to sit on the throne. That also is not right. His place is at the feet. So Lord Rama is sitting on the throne. Accompanied by Sita. And where is Hanuman? At the feet of Rama. So no, no, today I want to sit there. That you cannot do. Every day I must sit at the feet. Someday let me sit on the throne. No. Because then alone there will be an order. A harmony. When every actor plays the role according to the script. Otherwise there will be no harmony. Every day Ramayana will be different. See, when they were growing up, those days, there used to be those, uh, uh, what do you call them, you, you, uh, the, uh, the, the troops. They, they would travel from place to place, performing Ramayana. So they will camp in a given neighborhood for maybe nine days. And every night, for two hours, they will perform the Ramayana, beginning, you know, from beginning to end. So everybody was very eager, you know, we were all, we look forward to something like that, you know, because those days there wasn't much other entertainment, so it was very enjoyable. But anyway, sometimes the actors are very funny, you know, and therefore sometimes they act in a very funny way, because after all, those people are not always trained professionally. Sometimes when, a, when you don't have a, a character, then you sometimes recruit somebody from, you know, you know whoever, and ask him to do that. So if the Hanuman, Hanuman is so sick, you know, real Hanuman, then you, you recruit somebody else, come on now, you act as Hanuman tonight. And that fellow, you know, he'll act in whatever way, he may say whatever he wants to say. Then we get a lot of confusion, a lot of laughter also, but a lot of confusion. So understand that a play becomes harmonious. Only when all the actors perform the roles according to script. And so also life becomes harmonious when all those, all the players play the role according to script. In a family also. There is father, mother, children, maybe grandparents. If they all live together, when can you live together? Only when everybody concerned plays a role according to script. A grandfather must act in the dignity of a grandfather. He cannot act like a child, he cannot act like a son, he cannot like, you know, he must show that maturity. So also grandmother, a father and mother should show whatever maturity is required for the children. 
children should show whatever respect and reverence required for the elders. So there are certain basic rules as to how one should conduct oneself. Otherwise there will be no order at all, you know. You will not know how the other fellow is behave. It is the script, which is what we call dharma. That is in fact the binding factor. Oh, that is a factor that creates harmony among diverse people. In the drama, for example, all the different actors who play the drama, they know how, how to, what to expect from the other fellow. When I say this, what the other fellow will say, and what I should say, you expect it. If you do not, if he says what he wants to say, then you are totally confused, you know. Similarly, even in family also, when there are four, five, six, any number of family members are living together, then only when I know, when I know what the other person, how the other person will respond, then alone is possible for me to relate to them. Otherwise, I can't relate. Person does not act in the dignity of father or mother or son or grandfather, then other people get confused and they don't know how to relate. That is why there is a script. This is a big thing. You see, the families are not functioning properly only because they are not following the simple rule that when you become a husband, or when you become wife, when you are a son, when you are a grandfather, that means that there is a certain script according to which you should behave. Otherwise, what happens? We have seen this commonly occurring fact that a mother is so anxious to get her son married. She'll push her son to get married anyhow. I, I don't want to get married, but she'll keep on nagging him and ultimately make sure that he gets married. So that she has a, a, a bride at home, daughter-in-law. She'll be very proud. And now her, her work will be shared and whatever they feel, whatever kind of thinking. No sooner this girl comes home, then the, then the problem starts. This girl comes home and now her son starts paying more attention to her. Because naturally, after all, he's married now and so, and mother feels that my son no more pays attention to me. So she feels ignored. She feels, you know, taken for granted. And she starts reacting. And she thinks that this newcomer is responsible for that. Therefore, sometimes the daughter-in-laws, this become very uh, displeased with their daughters-in-law and all kinds of conflicts arise. The very purpose of bringing daughter-in-law at home is defeated because the mother-in-law does not play the role that she's supposed to play. She's mother-in-law, that means she's mother. If she doesn't act as mother and acts as a competitor, you know, it's a big problem. They start competing for one person. And therefore, the son is a sandwich between the mother and, and wife. It's a very, very, very difficult situation. If he tries to please his mother, the wife is displeased. Try to please his wife, the mother is displeased. But if everybody knew what the roles were and played the roles, then there will be harmony in the family. Because the mother-in-law knows what to expect from the daughter-in-law. The daughter-in-law knows what to expect from mother-in-law. They all know what to expect from the husband or son. He also knows what to expect from them. And that way, everybody plays the roles according to the script. Then there is 
harmony in the family. Just an example, everywhere in the place of work also, if everybody follows these rules, the script, there's harmony among colleagues, harmony between the boss and the subordinates, harmony at all different levels, provided people follow the, this called duty. And therefore, performing a role according to script is called duty. Thus the Hindu society is basically structured around the concept of duty. What I should do, not on the concept of rights as to what I should get, but on the concept of duty, what I should do. As I say, don't ask what America can do for you. Ask what you can do for America. So somebody wrote also, don't ask what India can do for you. Ask what you can do for India. Indians always want somebody else to do things for them, you know. They want somebody to solve their problems. So they, you participate. But anyway, so this is the duty. Karyam karma karodhya. Karya means that which is to be done. Karya means that which is to be done. So when a person does what is to be done, what is expected out of him or her? What is the proper response in a given situation? Meaning, person diligently performs his or her duty. So one aspect of karma yoga is to perform our actions, perform our roles appropriately according to script, according to dharma, according to duty. That's the one aspect of karma yoga. Second aspect is anasitaha karma phalam. That we will we'll talk about in the next class. <coughs> Om Purnamadav Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashya Bhagavanta Upanaf Punah Swaro Guru Ratmedi Murti Bheda Vibhagine Vyoma Vadvyapta Dehaya Dakshina Murtaye